Our second reading this morning is from the book of Acts, chapter 15, verses 1 through 11. Then certain individuals came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them, Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to discuss this question with the apostles and the elders. So they were sent on their way by the church, and as they passed through both Phoenicia and Samaria, they reported the conversion of the Gentiles and brought great joy to all the believers. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they reported all that God had done with them. But some believers who belonged to the sect of Pharisees stood up and said, it is necessary for them to be circumcised and ordered to keep the law of Moses. The apostles and the elders met together to consider this matter. After there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, My brothers, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you, that I should be the one through whom the Gentiles would hear the message of the good news and become believers. And God, who knows the human heart, testified to them by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did to us. And in cleansing their hearts by faith, he has made no distinction between them and us. Now, therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing on the neck of the disciples a yoke that neither our ancestors nor we have been able to bear? On the contrary, we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus, just as they will. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Creating God, God who is all that is, we thank you for these moments of dissension, for these moments of confusion, for these moments when we bear with one another and feel the Spirit moving through us into a new understanding of who we are and who you are. We thank you for this word today and for the message from the early church. Now may you put into my mouth the words you would have me speak and take from my mouth those you would not. So last week, as we were talking about Peter's dream coming down and I talked about food and and sticking to the law, I made a comment that we weren't talking about circumcision, thank goodness. We can wait for a while. And then I had forgotten at that moment that we would only be waiting a week um, before it would come up here in Scripture. And so that's the way the Spirit moves sometimes. And yet I want to spend time with just a little bit again today as we move through Acts. And I want to go back to yesterday, or last week rather, just very briefly to talk about how at that point in this early movement of church, of those following and seeking to follow the way of Jesus, that what we hit upon last week was this very big conversation around ritual practices, around food practices, around whether or not it was okay for Jews and Gentiles to interact, and particularly Jews who were holding to the law, who were seeking to live into and to follow the law faithfully. 
not to follow the law for an end unto itself, which is what this first passage today really kind of touches on. So last week we had that, and then this week there is another layer that goes to that. So last week it was like, okay, they can be part of the club, they can be part of the group, This movement that Jesus told us about, this presence of God, this Holy Spirit, which has opened up their understanding about who they are as God's beloved, as God's presence here in this world, in the way that the law enabled us to do as Jews, so they can be here now. There's a new way of understanding, but but they need to still follow all our laws. They need to do it the way that we've been doing it. So what we had between last time, last week, this discussion about who's really present, Peter says very clearly there is no distinction. There is no favoritism. There is no partiality. And then this week, it's like, well, there are these practices that surely they're going to still hold to these same things that we've held to. And again, the Spirit is saying, no, no, that's not actually how this works. But it's really unsettling. And it's really unsettling. They mentioned circumcision, but they mentioned the law. So it's circumcision, but it's also following the law. Now, Paul gets into this again later, and it's sort of an area where Paul in Galatians, which is the earliest of his epistles that are sent out, you get this real fiery, feisty, like he is angry about this. He is fueled about this. I love that in this passage that twice you hear that there is much debate and dissension. Now that is such to me, every time I read that, it's like, oh, that is, they prettied that up real nice. They, they're like, there was much debate and dissension. There was much, they say that multiple times. And you're like, no, these, these were not polite discussions. If scripture is actually going to make a point of saying it multiple times, it was a source of very real debate and discussion. Now, that's real because when you talk about circumcision, this is the very first thing that God told Abraham to do after Isaac, his promised progeny, was born. This was the very first, he said, I am promising you that your children will be more numerous than the stars, that your offspring will be more numerous than the stars. Then Isaac is born, and it is the fulfillment of that promise. And the very first thing God says is now you circumcise everyone. Abraham was 99 at this point. (laughs) So you bump everyone. But it's important because it was a sign of the people, but it was also a physical or visible sign of God's salvation. It was a visible sign that said, God is here. God is part of this community. We are part of this community. It is a sign also that is marked on the body, a permanent marking. And so it makes sense when I think about that, why they would be holding so true to this, why it would be such a big deal. They're like, no, no, this is the way that we know God. This is the way that we experience God. This is the way that we mark ourselves as followers of God. And yet Paul and Peter both here, and I also want to get back to that, I think, their relationship there, because they are both saying, no, that is not what God is telling us. Now, I love this here, especially with Paul and Peter, because Peter really uses his privilege here. Now, remember, Paul is still an outsider. He's just recently become Saul, very unceremoniously. We didn't even read that part in Scripture because it was just this sort of like Paul who's, or Saul who is now Paul. But Paul is still an outsider. 
He's still new into the community, and he is coming in and already battling and arguing with followers of the way of the elders. These Jews who come in and say, no, 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 they need to actually follow this. Paul and Barnabas are having this big argument with there, and they're convincing enough that they say, okay, we're going to send you forward to represent. And yet then it's Peter who speaks. And that's what I love, is that Peter is using his privilege with this community to say, we need to actually support what Paul is doing. Because Paul is actually following because this is what the Lord is doing. This is what God is doing. This is what the resurrected Christ is doing. And so Peter uses his space within that to convince the folks and to really kind of sell Paul to this group of folks. I mean, like to convince them that like, yes, he is here, which I think is really powerful because Peter is still going from his own story of the sheet coming down. So he's had his own wild conversion story in this way, recent conversion story, right? This new way of understanding. I think throughout our lives, we have multiple conversion stories. Because there are always these moments. I don't know if this is the case for y'all, but you have a moment where you're like, oh good, I've learned that. I'm here. I've arrived. And I don't know for y'all, but anytime I'm tempted to even think I have arrived, the Spirit says, whoop, here's a new thing. I'm like, oh crud. Oh crud, there really is no there there in this way. There is no specific way to follow God in terms of a rote memorization, step-by-step rule book thing. When we get ourselves into this idea that following God is a series, a point, a bullet point, step-by-step, we are taking God and compressing God into our very abbreviated, truncated understanding. And I got to tell you, that's never going to work out as well. Because no matter what I may imagine, no matter how expansive I may be in my own limited understanding, it is absolutely nothing compared to the majesty that is being presented to me every day by the living abundance of God. But the rules are so much helpful. They're so much more helpful because then we know what to do. We know that like I have a checklist here. It's easier. It makes it, I think a lot of times can help squelch some of the fear or anxiety. I know that at least I can cover this list of things that I'm good. I've got myself taken care of. But if there were ever a time in the world, an easy fix or an easy list does not apply. I would say that we are living in that right now, which is nice because they were living in that here too. In the church right now, we are in, I think, a unique time in history. We are being actively reformed. We, the church, which is not this building, which is not this institution, we, the church, which is this people, which is us, we are being actively reformed. We are being transformed into something new. Now, when I say that, and I say it's not the institution, but us, it sits differently, doesn't it? Because each one of us in our own individual bodies is being reformed. If you're part of the church, If you're part of this collective, which you are, you are being actively reformed. Just in case you wanted to know why everything feels so mixed up and wonky, I mean, maybe it doesn't. Again, if if everything makes perfect sense for you, meet me after worship because you can show up for the 99% of the rest of us who have no clue what's going on most of the time. It's okay to have no clue what's going on these days because the checklist of things that so many of us have been taught that we could follow and that everything would work out okay is proving to be very insufficient for these present days. And that's okay. 
The checklist was handed to us. This checklist was older. They're, they are having much debate. It's okay to debate. It's okay to be unsure, especially as we talk about how do we live together as a church community, even within this congregation. I don't even mean in like big church, but within here. It's okay that things feel uncertain. It's okay that things make no sense because it is hard for us so often in these moments to see where we are going because none of us have been there yet. We haven't been to the place that we are being called. We haven't been or envisioned the kind of community that this church is being made into. So often as I talk about letting this reformation happen, letting whatever it is that's being dismantled within the institutional church right now, as it is entering a new phase of its existence, the church as we know it is dying. And it needs to. Because the parts that are living through, that doesn't mean the church is dying. That doesn't mean we're forsaking. If anything, I would say it is the exact opposite. Because I think that the church that Jesus called us to create is the one that's actually being born right now. It is the one that is all of the things that you love about sharing community together. It may be some debate and discussion, but it's not anxiety-ridden terror waking up in the middle of the night around how is this thing going to hold together. That is not what we are called to. That is following and holding to the checklist. Does that make sense? Because the checklist is what taught us to hold together all of these institutions. The thing that is being born is richer. That is said with full gratitude and honor and respect for where we've been. But the thing that is being born, it is not a checkbook kind of thing. It's not. It's not a fear and anxiety over the checkbook kind of situation. It's also not a checklist kind of thing. It is a living, breathing abundance of God within you and shared among community kind of thing. And if that sounds terrifying to you, then you can understand a little bit about all of this debate and discussion that was going on here. It was terrifying to think that God could be showing up in a way that they had not known God to show up for thousands of years. If we've decided that we know how and when and where God shows up, we're not actually understanding or experiencing the fullness of how and where God shows up. Because if we've decided that we know, we're limiting it to our own imagination. But it's scary, because we want to try to wrangle in and make sense of the divine. There's no way that we're going to be able to do that. It's not possible. Well, great, that's helpful. What do we do with that? This is where it's really helpful for me to remember that that energy, that God, that creating source of all that is, that is all that is, that is in and through each and every one of us, that that energy is love. Not in a naive way, not in a pushover kind of way, but in a profound, radical, transform the way that you see who you are, the way that you see the world around you kind of love. I mean, what else can expand in the way that our universe does while also drawing us closer together? What else but love can enable us to transcend all of these boundaries that can enable us to actually break some of the rules that we've been taught to follow all along? 
but love? What else can teach us that we are deeply, deeply held, despite what the world may say, but that love that is within all that is? And you have access to that. You have access to that all the time. The world tells us that we don't tells us that we aren't worthy, tells us all of these things so often that for me, even if I were to catch myself saying, remind me that I'm loved to the universe, I would sound selfish. Think about how silly that is. But no, say it, you can claim it. Remind me that I am loved. Show me I am loved. Because I guarantee you that that beloved God, that holiness that is in and through you and everything is just waiting for you to ask to be shown how deeply you are loved so that it can actually show you how deeply you are loved. Amen.